0: This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2016. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. To go to First Samuel chapter 17, and as you do that, I'll read a couple of verses from Hebrews 10. So, 1 Samuel 17, and I shall read from Hebrews 10. Reading from verse 19 of Hebrews 10. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, Having a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and her bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Uh, Sunday morning past, uh, we started a little series on the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first one we talked about the blood in reference to forgiveness of our sins, past, present, and into the future. And then we followed on from that in the second last Sunday night. uh, We talked about fortitudes in our battles. And our text was from Revelation chapter 12. And how that they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And how that the blood of Christ gives us great power against the enemy of our soul. And then this morning we followed that with fellowship with the Father. And how the blood of Christ has brought us into the unique position where we can now go directly to God the Father we don 't have to go through all of those ceremonies and rites of the Old Testament. We can simply bend the knee, open our mouth, open our hearts, and we 're in the presence of Almighty God. We talked about fellowship with the Holy Spirit and how fellowship one with another. Tonight, I want to talk about the provision of the blood with reference to freedom. ...from our fears, our failures, and our flaws. And all of us have got failures. All of us have flaws. All of us have fears. And so we thank God that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ... ...and the power of it can help us deal with this. We all feel in our spiritual lives... ...if we're absolutely, brutally honest... We all commit sins of commission and sins of omission. Sins of commission are things that we ought to do and we don't do them. Sins of omission are things that we... No, sins of commission are things that we... That we Let me get this right. (laughs) Let me start the other way around. Sins of omission are things that we (laughs) ought to do and we don't do it. And the other is things that we do do that we ought not to do. And so all of us are in those positions where with the best will in the world, there's just things that we do and we should not do and things that we know to do and we don't do. And all of us has caught ourselves on doing something, saying something, looking at something, Speaking something whatever and as soon as we do it we know I should not have done that that was wrong And then there's other times when we don't do something or we don't say something or we don't go somewhere And we should have done that and we equally know that is wrong So we feel often in our spiritual lives we feel in our aspirations and in our intentions We don't follow through I mean to pray I mean to read the Word of God. I mean to go to the house of God. I mean to witness for Christ. But we don't follow through. Our intention is good. Our our heart is good to do that. We want to do that. And we intend to do it. We aspire to do it. But somehow we just don't quite follow through. I mean, how many times has somebody came to you and said would you please pray about this for me? Or join me in prayer over this? And you say, certainly, be happy to. And a week later, you realize, do you know what? I never prayed about that. I meant to. I really honestly did. And it's not as if you're saying to the person, just for the sake of saying that, you know, just to keep them happy, get them off your back. Of course not. Your intentions were good. You wanted to but in your humanity you didn't follow through anybody that happened to apart from me <laughs> so the next time you say to me david will you pray about this <laughs> <laughs> now you'll be thinking will he pray about it or is he just saying that or will he totally forget so the next time you say to me david will you pray about that you say to me and make sure you do this time <laughs> We fail in our relationships. How many marriages, Christian marriages, have failed? How how many Christians have stood at the altar of God and with the purest of heart, with the best of intention, with the greatest of desire, promised faithfulness and fidelity to each other? But they didn't do it. And somewhere along the line, the relationship crashed and folded, and they were deeply, deeply hurt. And it became a thing of great pain in their hearts. But nevertheless, the relationship, for whatever reason, failed. It happens so often, doesn't it? We fail on our motives and our desires. If we're absolutely brutally honest, again, sometimes our motives, usually they're good, but sometimes they're selfish. And sometimes a little bit of pride comes in. And sometimes a little competitive spirit comes in. And we find that our, our devotion, our motives, our desires become a little bit selfish and carnal And every one of us, without exception, this room tonight, it has happened to us. A little bit of pride has come in. We have so... fell for that. We feel so many things. We have fears. Fears about our shortcomings, our inferiorities, our inabilities. Uh, we, We fear... All of these things, we, we fear rejection, we fear non-acceptance, we fear even failure itself. We want to do things, but we're scared if we do it, we'll fail and doing it, and we'll look stupid in doing that, and we'll feel awful, and everybody will talk about us, and on and on we could go. You say, David, what in the world has all that list of negative things got to do with the blood of Jesus. It's got everything to do with it because everything, all of our fears, all of our failures, all of our flaws in life, all of them can be overcome with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ the power that's in the blood can help us overcome our fears and our failures and our flaws in this life. So we're not without hope. We're not in despair. We're not living a negative life continually. We know our weaknesses. We know when we fail. But thank God there's an answer to that, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ can forgive us, strengthen us, get us up on our feet, and to go again for his glory. Amen. Let me maybe best illustrate this uh, with a story from uh, 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now, you know that's the chapter regarding David and Goliath, but that's not my subject. Uh, In fact, I want to break into that story just towards the very end of it. Uh, uh, Of course, David took on Goliath, and he, uh, with his slingshot and his stone, he hit him in the forehead, knocked him down, took out Goliath's sword, cut the head off him. And once all the armies of Israel saw that great victory, then their courage was renewed again in their hearts, and they took out after the Philistines, who once their champion was dead, then they began to flee. And so it says here in verse 52... Now when the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley to the gates of Akron, and the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Asharim, even as far as Gath and Akron, then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. And David took the hand of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put his armor in his tent." Then Saul saw David coming out against the Philistine, and he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king said, Inquire whose son this young man is. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? So he answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse Jesse the Bethlehemite. Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan, that's Saul's son, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. In my margin it says, The life of Jonathan was bound up with the life of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Now, Jonathan himself was a a great warrior. He was a brave man, but he wasn't brave enough to take on Goliath, and he knew it. Saul was head and shoulders above all the men of Israel. He was tall, regal, stately, kingly-looking, but he was afraid of Goliath. And David, the whippersnapper, the boy, took on Goliath and defeated him. And whenever Jonathan met him, something happened in the spirit. Something took place in his heart and David's heart, and their souls became knit together. They became kindred spirits. There was tremendous admiration that Jonathan had for this young man. He admired him greatly. But it was even more than that. This was something that the Spirit of God was doing in Jonathan's heart. And it would be important for David's life throughout this story. And Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. Now although the text doesn't explicitly say it, but there's reason to believe it. But one translation says they cut a covenant. Covenants could be made with different, there were salt covenants, could be made with different things. But sometimes a covenant was made with blood. There was a cut made. And the Living Bible says that Jonathan, which is only a paraphrase, the Living Bible, that Jonathan became a blood brother to David now when you see what happens next uh, that could lead us to believe that this was no ordinary covenant this was a special moment because he loved him as his own soul and Jonathan took off the robe that was upon him and gave it to David with his armor even to his sword and his bow and his belt this was a big thing Remember, Jonathan is a prince. This was a regal robe. David was a lowly shepherd boy. And David only had a slingshot and a pebble. But Jonathan gave him his sword and his bow, his armor. He gave him his and, and, and in a way, he's implying, "David, I am for you. David, I will look after you. David, I will protect you." That's what that's implying. And so, something unique, something special, something of God's spirit was happening in the hearts of these two men. Jonathan would have been the older of the two, obviously. But something was happening here that was born of God's spirit in that moment. Now, if we were to read on through the rest of chapter 17 and uh, into chapter 18 I beg your pardon and into chapter 19 you would find then that Saul got insanely jealous of David when they come back from the battle and he heard the woman singing Saul slain in slain his thousands but David has ten thousands uh, he could not stand that uh, and he felt his position as king was being threatened not that David was threatening but he felt that and in a way, it was right because the Spirit of God was lifting off King Saul and coming upon David. But he got insanely jealous to the point where he actually tried to kill him at least twice. He, he threw a javelin at him to pin him to the very wall. I mean, when the red mist descended, he, he just absolutely just blew it completely. And not only that, he was a conniving, manipulative. Uh, king, he, he actually wanted to David to marry his daughter, which he did, his daughter Michael, that it would be a snare unto him. Using his own daughter to be a snare to David, uh, and actually get him as, as kind of a dowry to go out and to kill a lot of Philistines, uh, in the hope that he would die, that they would kill him. And so that's the position that they're in. And, and in that household. You had this insanely jealous King Saul and you had young David and you had Jonathan, Saul's son who loved David and David loved him so there was a whole intrigue and tension going on within that whole house. And then if you go over to chapter 20 Then David fled from Nioth in Ramah and went and said to Jonathan, what have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? Jonathan, what is this about? What have I done? Your father wants to literally kill me. So Jonathan said to him, By no means, you shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. Well, David wasn't so sure that it was not so. Listen to what David said. Then David took an oath again and said, Your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. And he was absolutely true in that. And he knew that. And he's saying, Jonathan, your dad knows the relationship that we have, so he's going to hide this from you. He's going to trick you some way to get me and kill me. So Jonathan said to David, verse 4, "'Whatever you desire, you yourself desire, I will do it for you.' And David said to Jonathan, "'Indeed, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit with the king to eat, but let me go that I may hide in the field until the third day of evening.' And if your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly seeks permission of me that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. And if he says thus, it is well, your servant will be safe. But if he is very angry, be sure that evil is determined by him. Therefore you shall deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Now, David here is reminding Jonathan of this covenant that they had made, that Jonathan had initiated. So he says, therefore, you shall deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is iniquity in me, well, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? But Jonathan said, far be it from you. For if I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me? Or what if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out into the field. That, that would give them a little privacy. So both of them went out into the field. Then Jonathan said to David, The Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow or the third day, And indeed, there is good, is good toward David, and I do not send to you to tell you, may the Lord do so, and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. And the Lord be with you, as he's been with my father. And you shall, notice this now, and you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So now Jonathan is reminding David of his part of the covenant, his half of the bargain. Now, Jonathan, you must understand at this point, he must have absolutely known that David was God's choice to be the next king, and the Spirit of God was moving off Saul. And also knowing that he in the natural would have been the next king because he was the prince. But he deferred all of that to the will of God and made this covenant. So now Jonathan's reminding David, listen. In other words, when you come into your kingdom keep me safe. And even if I die, make sure my family will be okay from here on out. So this is the importance of this cut covenant. This is the importance of the covenant. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. Now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Now to chapter 31. Time has moved on. The Philistines, the ancient enemy of Israel, uh, are continually harassing the Israelites. There's fights between them continually. But here comes this sad occasion when some when Saul and his sons were slain in battle at Mount Gilboa. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons. And the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchashua, Saul's sons. And the battle became fierce against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me or torture me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons, his armor-bearer, and all his men died together that same day. And so this was a, a dark day in the history of Israel, and particularly for David, because his great friend, his confidant, his trusted pal, the one that he had made a covenant with, has tragically died at the hands of the Philistines. It really pained David's heart when he heard this news. David, of course, would go on to be the greatest king that Israel ever had. And as David would go on in his kingdom and he would be blessed and he would be prospered and he would be safe and he would be secure and he would unite the nation because he was a great king and a great warrior and a great musician and a great poet, full of wisdom and knowledge. Wonderful man of God. And so we turn then to 2 Samuel chapter 4. And David's now enjoying his reign. He's been more than capable of handling the Philistines. And then one day he gets up in the morning, and he gets up, and suddenly, and it had to be, God's Spirit had moved upon him. After all of those years, suddenly, he wanted to know is there anybody left of the house of Saul? that I may show God's kindness to. And there was. Look what it says here in verse 4 of 2 Samuel 4. Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as he made haste to flee... That he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. Now, again, the story is very familiar to you, but to remind you that in those days, uh, whenever a king was killed by his enemies, usually the first thing his enemies would do would be slaughter the family of the king that he had just killed. Reason was simple, so that they would not grow up in five years, ten years, fifteen, twenty years' time and come against them in vengeance and take back the kingdom. So they wiped them out. And so the nurse, knowing that, knowing the fall of the house of Saul at Gilboa, when the news came back, she immediately wanted to go to Gilead, to a place called Lodibar, the place of no pastures, that means to some of Saul's relatives who might live there where she could be safe and take this young boy. But as she ran in her haste, you see, she fell, and the little boy's feet were crushed. And by the time they would get to Gilead, the little boy's feet were permanently damaged, so that he was lame for the rest of his life in both his feet. And then in chapter 9 of 2 Samuel... So David gets up one morning. I believe moved by the Spirit of God after all those years. David said, Is there anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? The word kindness in my margin says show him covenant faithfulness. He made a covenant with Jonathan that I may show him covenant faithfulness for Jonathan's sake. And there was a servant of the house of Saul, his name was Ziba. And so when they had called him to David, the king said to him, are you Ziba? He said, at your service. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I might show the kindness of God or covenant faithfulness? Now, Ziba was an old retainer of Jonathan. He was an old servant, sorry, of Saul. Not Jonathan, but an old retainer of Saul, the house of Saul. And so who better to ask the question to than Ziba? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son to Jonathan who is lame in his feet. And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodibar. Now, it's very painfully obvious that Zeba knew all along that Jonathan had a son and he was living with Saul's relatives in Lodibar. He had known that for years. In fact, Jonathan now, by this time, is a full grown man and has a son of his own. So Zeba knew all of that. So why did he never say that before? Well, maybe for two reasons. First of all, for the very obvious one, knowing how kings operated in those days and wondering if David finds out about Jonathan's son. (laughs) Maybe because he's the grandson of Saul and knowing the bad blood between Saul and him, maybe he will go and wipe him out so there's nobody who would come against him of the household of Saul. Maybe that's what he thought. Or, Or maybe he was thinking about himself. Well, if there is a relative, and there is, and if David finds out about that, I know what David's like. He'll bring him back, and he'll bless him, and he'll help him, and he'll give him everything he's got. What about me? What will that do to me and my sons, my family? Because he had a good ranking position. So it could be one of those two reasons why he never said to David. But we can see here that David had asked the question, and he gave the answer. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodibar. Now imagine for a moment, here's Mephibosheth, fully grown adult, with a son of his own. All those years he's been living in the place of no pastures, in the barren place. All of those years, with crippled feet, with all of his fears... And his flaws, and maybe feeling a complete and utter failure in life, living meanly in that place, hiding, maybe continually thinking, I wonder if David knew I was alive, would he come and kill me? Yes, maybe to the age of five, maybe he only ever heard good about David, but that was a long time ago. And he knows as an adult know how these kings operate because most of them are despots. And so for all of those years, he's in hiding, and he's wondering, and he's apprehensive, and he's anxious, and, and suddenly he hears outside early one morning, maybe before dawn, he hears a noise and a commotion, and he hears horses and clanging of armor, and he opens the door, and there's David's men standing there. I wonder what he thought. I wonder, he'd say, oh God, I'm finished. David has found me. He'll kill me. My life is over. What about my son? Maybe all these thoughts were racing through his mind. Not a great position to be standing in at that particular time. But Zeba must have said, Mephibosheth, King David wants to meet you. He wants to see you face to face. So then the king sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodibar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth? (coughs) Do you notice the question mark after that? Mephibosheth? He's thinking, is that really you? Some commentators think that maybe David had never seen Mephibosheth because as a little boy, that's when all the tensions and all the struggle and all the strife and all the danger was going on in Saul's house with David and Jonathan and his father. So, but maybe he did see him. Maybe Jonathan did. Maybe he sat on his knee at one point as a little boy, but now he's a grown man with a son of his own, and David hasn't seen him all those years. And saying, Mephibosheth, is that really you? I remember one time, a friend of ours, he, he owned a, a second-hand car a place up the Arch Road. And he came here for a little while, whenever we started up. And I was up visiting him one day. I don't know what about, but I was up visiting him, and I was in his office, he was sitting behind his desk, and there was two guys standing to the side, and I walked in, and I was talking away to him. I never really paid any attention to the two fellows, I and say hello, and that was it. I didn't know them. So after a few moments chatting, he says to me, uh, you don't know him, sure you don't. I looked at this big guy, about six foot, he's built like a tank. And I says, no, I don't know him. He says, that's my son. He says, you dedicated him when he was a baby. <laughs> <laughs> I would not have known him from Adam. It's simply because of the years. And maybe that's what David felt like here. Mephibosheth, is that really you? Old Matthew Henry, the great old commentator of yesteryear, says that maybe he saw the likeness of Jonathan in Mephibosheth. Maybe he saw the likeness of Jonathan in Mephibosheth. And he answered, Here is your servant. But note this, verse 7. So David said to him, Do not fear. Would that not imply that Mephibosheth looked afraid? Maybe he looked terrified. Maybe he thought, my number's up. He's found me. The game's over. No more hiding. I'm standing before my nemesis. You see, I don't think that Mephibosheth knew that David and his father had made a covenant. And he would be a beneficiary of the covenant that was made. He would be blessed because of the covenant. I don't think he knew that at that time. He answered, here is your servant. So David said, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. This is covenant faithfulness. I will show you covenant faithfulness for Jonathan, your father's sake. You and your dad, many years ago, when you were just a wee boy, we made a covenant. And your dad said to me, if anything happens to me, make sure that you look after my family. And after all these years, the covenant for little Mephibosheth, who's now a man, is about to come true in his life. Isn't this a wonderful little story, isn't it? I know you, you know it. I know I've preached on it many times, but it's a wonderful little story, isn't it? But notice what he says. Do not fear, I will show you kindness for Jonathan your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? All those years living and hiding, all those years with fears and apprehensions, all those years with his lameness on his feet, all those years maybe thinking that death is not far from me. No wonder he felt... Like a dead dog. David, what do you see in me? Look at me. I'm dressed meanly. I don't look like the son of a prince. I don't look like the grandson of a king. I look like a dead dog. I'm useless. I'm hopeless. I'm nothing. Look at my feet. I can do nothing. I am nothing. That's what he was thinking. That's what he was implying. What do you see in me? Hmm. but David saw Jonathan and he saw the covenant that they had made and when he looked at Mephibosheth he remembered Jonathan and it was for his sake it didn't matter what Mephibosheth looked like it didn't matter he was the biggest failure in the whole world it didn't matter he was the most useless man on earth David looked at him and for the sake of Jonathan, for the sake of the covenant, oh, bless that wee one. <laughs> for the sake of that covenant, David was going to bless Mephibosheth. And sometimes, amidst all of her failures, all of her flaws, all of our inadequacies, all of our inferiorities, all of that stuff that wants to weigh us down, we wonder what in the world has God ever seen us? I can do nothing. I'm useless. I'm hopeless. I'm nobody. I'm a dead dog. But God looks at us through his son, and he remembers the covenant that was made at Calvary between God and the son for you and for me. And that's the wonder and the beauty of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We may be the biggest wasters, may be the biggest hopeless cases, may be the most useless people, but God sees us through his son. And he's going to bless us for covenant kindness sake. Amen. And the king said to Ziba, Saul's servant said to him, Sorry, the king called to Zeba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. I bet you that didn't please (laughs) Zeba. That was maybe the real reason why he didn't want David to know about him. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table Always. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. By the way, Ziba did not like Mephibosheth, and he did not like what's happened here. And if you read on through the story, you'll find out he really didn't like it, really didn't. But the covenant had been made. As for Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth said to the king, shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who dwelt in the house of Zebah were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and still and withal, he was still laying on both his feet. The type is very obvious, isn't it? The nurse fell as she ran And the lameness was a result of that fall. Our spiritual lameness is a result of the fall. And that's why all of us were spiritually lame. But because of the blood of Calvary, we had been brought into the household of God. We are now king's sons. In fact, we're kings and we're priests unto God, the Bible says. And we can eat bread at his table continually. Does that mean that we'll never be without flaw or without fault or without a feeling or without a sin or without a mishap? No, no. Not while we live in this world. But we put our crippled feet under his table and we eat bread continually (coughs) because we are as one of the king's sons. see what the blood has done for us. God shows his covenant kindness for Christ's sake. It's nothing of us. It's nothing of ourselves. It's all of his grace. It's all of his mercy. (laughs) 2,000 years down the road since that covenant was made, people all over the world are coming in to the king's household. With all of their spiritual lameness, they come in and they become part of the great family of God. We have been adopted into his family. <laughs> it's wonderful, isn't it? And so the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, has cleansed us, has forgiven us, has empowered us, and has caused us to be part of his great household. And every single one of us a all of us with our faults, our feelings, our flaws, all of us with all of that stuff that sometimes trips us up, all of that... All of that, God sees, but he sees his son, and he sees his blood. He says, I will forgive you. I will cleanse you. I will empower you. I will grace you. I will help you. I will lift you up. I will give you dignity in my kingdom. And it's wonderful, isn't it? To the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your precious word. It so encourages us to know what you really believe about us. You know all of our faults, all of our feelings, and yet you love us in your mercy. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you did at Calvary. Thank you for giving your very life's blood for us. We're here this day in your house because of what you did 2,000 years ago. And we have never been the same since we received you. So thank you for that covenant that you made on behalf of us. Thank you that tonight we are the being blessed. We're the recipients of it. And we bless you for it. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast.